For over 33 years, CIUT FM has delivered the sound and the news of your city. 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 Hi, this is Blame. This is MC Copper. Yo, it's your boy Thanks. This is MC Tell. Hey, this is Clet Warren. Yo, this is TRAC. Hey, this is Conrad Subs. Yo, this is Inja. Hi, this is Cleveland Watkins. This is DRS. You are listening to my main man, Valiant MC. And you're listening to Valiant MC. Valiant MC. The one and only, my homeboy, Valiant MC. You're listening to Valiant MC. Valiant MC bringing you the show, fam. And I'm chilling out with Valiant right now. And you listen to Valiant MC. Valiant MC. You're listening to Valiant MC. On the prophecy. The prophecy. On the prophecy. Yeah, you are locked in to the prophecy. On the prophecy. On the prophecy. On the prophecy. CIUT 89.5 FM. CIUT 89.5 FM Toronto. On CIUT 89.5 FM. On CIUT 89.5 FM. FM Toronto CIUT 89.5 on your dial prophecy check it check it Yes, everybody, it is Friday night in Toronto, and you know what that means. It is time for the prophecy here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I am your host, Valiant MC, and we're going to keep it short and sweet. Tonight, we got an interview with our founder, the general himself, Marcus Visionary, who's just released Prophecy on the Flip Super Sunday. And it is about the time period from which the prophecy sprang, and about the prophecy itself, you might even recognize some of the radio drops. So underneath me right now, we've got Super Sunday, and after the interview, you were going to hear Prophecy, named for this radio show, and what a way to usher in our 30th anniversary next year. That's right, people, three decades on the air, solid, and it's all thanks to this man, Marcus Visionary. Let's listen to the rest of the tune and then get into the interview, everybody. Keep it locked. Here we go. Take this over from the top and jump up music non-stop now, bigger. 
it feels funny to say to Marcus Visionary, like, you know, hey, welcome to the prophecy, because it's a show that you created that next year will be celebrating its 30th anniversary. Obviously, you were, you know, the leader of the show for a, a very long time. And then you moved on to yet another legendary broadcasting entity with Cool FM. So the tracks that you just released, uh, Prophecy and Super Sunday, kind of celebrate uh, the show. And, you know, for people who are just discovering the Prophecy in the last couple of years, it's been on a Friday night. Traditionally, the Prophecy has been on a Sunday. So talk a little about the inspiration behind these tunes. Um, obviously, the anniversary is coming up, so it's appropriate timing. Um, but what does the Prophecy mean to you, especially in the grand scheme of, you know, Toronto and jungle and how that kind of runs through your DNA. Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say um, a big thanks going out to all of you guys, um, because myself and Prime, we took it to 20 years and then James was already involved at that point and Gremlins and, you know, Scott Free. And, you know, when I moved on to Cool London, it was I could have continued with the prophecy, but I just thought to myself, I was like, you know what, you know, it's in good hands and it would be too it was going to be too much work for me because I was going over to Cool London. And at the time I was doing two shows a month at Cool London. I took it down to one show a month because I don't I don't really like to play the same music on every show. I want every show to be special, you know, um, so I want to big up the entire current crew, you know, track D2, Scott Free, Polaris, yourself. Mr. Brown, um, I don't know if I've left anyone out there. The crew, the crew is constantly always growing, so I got to big you guys up because I know it takes a lot of dedication, a lot of time, a lot of hard work, uh, and I'm so proud that you guys have managed to keep. Because honestly, it is near and dear to me, man. You know what I mean? Like, it, it really means something to me. Uh, there was a hardcore track that sampled the reggae tr track "Prophecy" that the hard crew used to play, and so when we chose the name. I think the original was by Fabian or something like that, but that's what we where we got the name for the prophecy. And the whole idea was just like, you know, it's we, some of us live for the future. You know what I mean? And mm. this was the most futuristic mu music at the time because um, we were reinforced kids, and reinforced was always about pushing the envelope and you know innovating and taking breakbeat music and Detroit techno and all of these influences and fusing them together. You know, jungle and drum and bass it is the definition of fusion i don't think people understand um even to the point where it's like a fusion of culture a fusion of um musical styles and it's uh limitless you know so i just want to i have to big you guys up that's where we have to start but yeah prophecy was like um i was like it was a dream for me as a young dj coming up in the scene listening to malik x for many years you know, who used to play Rare Groove and Soul and eventually would start playing early uh, white labels that he would get from his family in England. And then he would have Dr. Nolan as a guest, right? And these guys were um, British expats who basically brought rave to Toronto alongside uh, Danny Donnelly, Danny Henry, Exodus Crew. And then there was Chemistry, which is Alex of London. So it's the very early days of rave. But watching them build their thing over at like the Cameron house with Mark Oliver and it was totally inspiring to me. And the music was just moving at such a fast pace as well. The innovation was happening so quickly because, you know, we were playing like Chicago house music 
And then all of a sudden we're playing Detroit techno. And then boom, in from London, all of a sudden now it's LFO and Warp Records. And all of this stuff was sort of happening at the same time. You know, you had Soul to Soul and the Funky Dreads and big cultural revolutions happening all at the same time. So there's this super uh, excitement and we wanted to be a part of that. That's what Prophecy was. So when we started at 88.1 CKLN, it was myself I'm kind of spearheading it and then bringing in all of the DJs. So all of our resident DJs, so Medicine Muffin, Jungle PhD, Roughneck, Dr. No, um, Hard Crew, um, they would all come down. Eventually Mystical and Sniper would come down, right? And we used to have these late night uh, fill-in sessions over at 88.1 CKLN. And it was crazy because back then, you know, you could smoke in a building and these guys <laughs> right. were playing playing dominoes and playing cards and, you know, eating food. And we're having these like, you know, late night sessions and we're young. So it was a, it was a really special time. And it became so popular with the ravers because it was really the only place to hear the music in the beginning, you know, um, outside of James St. Bass, he had 89.5 hard drive and we were avid listeners of that. You know what I mean? Um, Malik X wasn't, exclusively rave he would just play one or two tracks here and there he'd play a lot of rare groove and stuff like that you know as kids we were like oh we want all jungle and this is like from 1992 we were like yo jungle is where we're at we want to hear a whole night of jungle so you know december 92 started our rave company it was called x rave at the time we had lost in the jungle which is like so was that i don't even know was that 30 years ago 31 years 30, ago now yeah 30 31 years ago now so yeah you know um and that was with the whole delirium crew and then 93 we started delirium uh an event called smile but um yeah man it's been an amazing journey you know um i had a re had a really great times over at 89.5 uh big shout out going out to ken the program director he was with us and he was a such a great supporter of what we did i mean the only reason why we were able to keep our show was because he kept renewing it and allowing us to continue and the fact that he kept you guys around for another 10 years is a testament to what you guys have done and the effort that you guys have put in to keep it there because they bring in new shows and they freshen it up. And and so the fact that you guys haven't been cut is amazing, you know, and I know that even if you guys were cut, especially in this climate, you can continue the prophecy on your own and be just as successful. That's the good thing about the time that we're living in now. You know what I mean? We don't we're not dependent on institutions you know because when we came in there was no internet i think a lot of people need to remember people would record the show every sunday and that was their music for the week my friend jeff and i used to drive around uh we used to listen to um a show in buffalo on uh was it 88.7 it was called the the essential groove uh with tim wagner and he and he would like play drum and bass in there there would be like rare groove there'd be some house trip hop and jungle yeah. and we're like whoa what's this and like we're just driving around we, we couldn't really go out to clubs or whatever and that was our first exposure so it's kind of similar to uh by the sounds of it anyway the show that malik x used to do so <clears throat> gotta gotta give shouts out to those early radio shows because those were were super uh formative for us and then you know we got on buffalo state colleges uh, radio station WBNY 91.3 and friends of mine started you know they called it the Buffalo Underground and it changed to Underground FM and that's where I started I'm seeing it on that show so to come to the prophecy years later 
was something that was it was like kind of a full circle moment but it was also like oh my gosh i get to be part of this like legacy it's obviously very historical it's been going you know next year like i said it's gonna be its 30th year and there's no show in the western hemisphere that has gone on as long but the times have really, really changed. Obviously, the internet has completely changed everything. The way we buy music has been completely you know, supplanted by streaming. Uh, there's a million and one places now to get mix shows and stuff like that. So, you know, you stuck with Cool as it made its transition from Cool London to, you know, back to the airwaves as Cool FM when Rinse took it over. Yeah. And so you're back on terrestrial radio now. So to you, what kind of place does radio have in our landscape uh, with all the choices that we now have? Well, I still think that radio is super um, important, whether, you know, it's online radio, it still, it still does the same thing. You know what I mean? Because it delivers culture, right? So it's really just about uh, different tastemakers, you know, whether, you know, diggers really, you know, cause the best shows are all about the diggers to me, you know, like that's why I chose to only do a show once a month because the amount of digging that we have to do twice a month it's not for me because i'm not just coming to the show to dj and play the same stuff that i played last month there might be one or two maybe three tracks that i'm really feeling that'll get thrown back into the mix but for the most part it's new and old music that you know there's always um a mission there's always something that we're trying to say with the selection that we're playing or where we're at in this current time you know like for example like i'm super super proud of this resurgence in jungle and breakbeat hardcore um and rave um there's so much of that sound coming out now that's brand new not old school that you can't even keep up you can't keep up that's how many artists and labels that are pushing the original sound. Basically, I think during the pandemic, a lot of people, they looked, they reflected on what's going on. And drum and bass became, you know, just sort of this race to be the clearest production, the loudest production. How can we manipulate this bass sound, you know, 90 different ways? People, I think for the most part, lost sight of the music and the whole feeling of rave. Because original rave music did something very specific, you know, it moved people in a very certain way. I could see with the current state of drum and bass, especially rollers, with the rollers and the foghorn kind of sound, and even the new jump up, it was just being made for kind of MCs, right? Now there's, don't get me wrong, there's a place for everything. And I congratulate those guys who are dominating that sound where it's for the MCs. So you've got all your MC performers, and they roll with that sound because the original rave uh, jungle breakbeat sound, it was more for hosts, you know, the music's already so filled up with pianos and pads and breakbeats and changes and mentasms and, you know, so much music in there. They're full songs as drum and bass progressed in the raves. I think there was a lot of pressure, um, especially in the UK to make it more stripped back, more MC friendly but also to stripping it back, giving more room for just the weight of the bass and the drums that they just kept moving further and further away from the music. So some songs would actually hit, like if you tune to some songs, they're just drum and bass. There's very little music. There might be a little bit of music in the beginning, you know, maybe a touch in the middle. The reason why Brad and I fell in love with the music was because it was music. 
you know, fully composed songs. Like we're reinforced kids. So it was like some songs would have four different parts in one song, you know, and from the darkness into the light, those songs really, really, they give you goosebumps on the dance floor. I remember there was uh, a scene in that old Metalheads documentary that was out like years ago is on VHS and this girl is in the bathroom. I don't know if she's at Blue Note or if she's at a rave, but she says about Jungle, this music hits me here and she touches her heart and it hits me here and she touches her crotch. (laughs) And that's, I think, when you said it used to move people in a certain way, her little statement kind of sums that up, especially because, you know, Jungle was slower back then too so there was it it allowed for more space for the music to breathe a little bit the bass could breathe it could penetrate you a little deeper um that's why i kind of love the fact that there's so much jungle and drum bass coming out now that's like 160 you know what i mean it's like a little bit slowed down because i do i I do miss that maybe it's just because i'm old i don't know you know what that scene just to to, just to cut in quickly that 160 165 scene for example is very linked to the vinyl um revolution that's been happening because the guys who are buying the 160 165 jungle they're they're not really messing with 170 bpm (laughs) they're so you know when brad and i we have the labels like you know many labels and we're catering to the 160 165 and 170 plus and so everything there's a method to everything that we've been putting out and in in thought and we're like, okay, we've done this. What well, it's like touching different bases, but you know, I find when I listen to breakbeat hardcore and jungle, it's kind of like I'm re- listening to a reggae sound tape. I get the mm. same feeling because it's like, you know, it's like you're not dependent on. There's not going to be 64 bars of just bass and beats, right? It's just like it's it's a song. So there's changes. There's things constantly happening, and for me, it's more exciting. Like played at Drumcraft on Friday night, and that was just unbelievable like the it was for one it was rammed at 11 30. i was gonna say it looked like an amazing party yeah it was so it was one of my and i've been to many of their shows that was one of my favorite i was fortunate enough to play at this one um so i want to big up the whole drumcraft crew because they're like our rupture you know right what, what rupture is doing so big up double o big up mantra big up the whole rupture crew um and rupture at corsica is not a big place you know, just sort of like how Metalheads wasn't a big place um, initially. And they're like these hubs for culture. And, you know, they're spoken about across the globe. You know what I mean? And so Drumcraft at 254, it's completely special. You know what I mean? But um, it even led to me because I played a one hour set and I was like, I said to Brad today, I was just like, yep, I'm going to do an all night long set a session coming. Like, I'm going to, you know, to celebrate. You know, 30 years of Lost in the Jungle, I'm going to do an all night long, you know, all vinyl and uh, intimate and interactive, you know. The times have changed a lot mm-hmm. and we find ourselves, some of us find ourselves reaching backward to find the things that we fell in love with. But we also are looking inward to find the things that we need. So you are the epitome of the modern drum and bass artist that is almost like a self-contained machine you (laughs) you know a lot of the music that you play is your own 
a lot of the music that you play on your radio show is your own. A lot of the music that you release on your labels is your own. When you first came out the box as Marcus, when you made the transition from Marcus to Marcus Visionary, you know, you were obviously releasing on other labels. But as time went on, you became, I think, more insular in a lot of ways, maybe out of necessity. But it's also sort of was a precursor to the fact that so many artists are realizing that record labels in a lot of ways are obsolete so they can where people can do a lot of the things that record labels do on their own and establish their own not only musical identity but their own brand their own scene if you will mm -hmm. uh create their own hub of interest create their own hub of supporters mm -hmm. so how did inner city dance actually kind of come into existence well inner city dance um so originally i was releasing for digital sound boy um in 2005 and i was also releasing for at that time signing my stuff to other labels so i had a release for through marcus intellects for revolver i did uh 31 records for doc scott i was working with flight um over at play music which was her label at the time i was working with aries and his whole crew um and that whole experience was just like my foot in the door and at the time i'll be honest with you like we were just learning the craft i'm not really proud of those productions you know what i mean um i feel like the music that i'm making today i finally got into a place where like i fully understand how to express myself musically you know like now i can think of something in my head and go in the studio and and make that you know and so now it's like you know if i'm feeling a, anything you know if i'm feeling you know a way about something that's going on in the world i can go and express that in in the music and 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 um there's gonna be a lot of that in the future was that kind of feeling the catalyst for how you and lush came up with inner city dance well you know what so as i was releasing with all those labels and then i was also working with line dub for line dub international i worked with him for a really long time um i said to brad i was like you know what i want to start something i actually I was like, yeah, I want to start a label of my own and I need somebody to help me admin the label, right? Because I just, you know, you don't want to do everything on your own. At the time, I didn't. I had, Sig, you know, we were Cygnus. It's 11 years now we've been doing inner city dance and we're just getting, hitting our stride now. You know, like, um, it's only been the last two years that I decided, you know what? I'm going to really just focus on inner city dance, right? And then basically out of necessity, I said to Brad the other day, I phoned him and I said, listen, you know, I remember this call, like, um, cause I, last December I said to him, I said, I have to start a band camp, um, of my own called tribal life. Cause with band camp, the money from the, from the, the buyer goes straight into your PayPal. So I needed something to supplement my income. And since I've started it, it was the best thing I could do. I think I'm at like 22 releases now on tribal life since last December. Now, with Tribal Life, do you stream as well, or is it strictly Bandcamp? It's strictly a Bandcamp label. Um, nice. Bandcamp allows you to do a lot of things that, you know, like, because remember, our music is very sample-based, you know, right, and so right. with, Cyg with Cygnus, you know, and the algorithms and the AI now, you know, you have to be cautious with sampling. But in saying that, a lot of the new music that I have forthcoming, it's all played. You know, I might use some Clash tapes, um from reggae you know but that's sort of like 
it's not a recorded copywritten piece of material right absolutely you know what i mean so it's and it's so deeply part of the culture you know what i mean um so how many how many labels are part of the inner city dance conglomerate i guess for lack of a better word yeah well we've got inner city dance right and then we have stereo one music which was started as an outlet for our more jungle kind of stuff okay but then now we kind of now it's just pretty much release one on inner city then another one on stereo one um and then we have inner city dubs which was initially a label that was for uk funky and garage and now we've mainly moved it over to because we've changed direction and it's like now it's mainly like breakbeat hardcore um so the and then then we have rock steady which is a bootleg label ah okay yeah. so um you know like most of the people it's funny because most people don't know like you know all the aliases are me right so it's like x-rave is me channel one is me <laughs> um, <laughs> like yeah almost like pretty much yeah pretty much everything because like when you'll see the artists like Jesta, you'll see krugos on there now you know what i mean but um everything else is because you know i wouldn't be able to put out this amount of music and as all markets visionary you know so we just started putting and sometimes we don't even put an artist you know it'll just be a track uh and right. the label name right so there's uh four labels on the industry dance brand and then uh tribal life is tribal life music is actually the fifth one so it is still part of our group brad still promotes tribal life and because brad listen i have to big brad up um because he knows that how to that we need to do this to keep the machine running right at the end of the day right. and um and I want to salute everybody who supports me over at Tribal Life as well because it pays my bills, it buys my groceries, it's paid my mortgage before. Um, so it's been going really, really well. Like my first year in December, it'll be like, so I'm I'm an advocate for uh, Bandcamp. I know a lot of people are afraid because they've just been sold for the third well, time. Well, I was going to ask you about that. So yeah. <laughs> do you, what are your concerns about Bandcamp going forward, especially because the the company that bought them is a, a music licensing company. So it seems to run basically counter to what Bandcamp's original ethos was to begin with. So are you worried about the platform? I'm always a little worried about the platform. I mean, especially like, you know, we've been with it while it's been sold before. You know, unless you've got like an Elon Musk character who decides that they want to buy a platform and then destroy it. Um, most people when they buy something they buy it because they like it and there's a reason why they're buying it now demure made a post and he his post was suggesting that people should make sure that they're publishing and everything was right because he was worried that i guess they were going to try and you know kind of see some sort of ownership through a loophole and the fine print being like all of this music is on our site therefore we own it in some weird way, but I don't know what the development is with pertaining to that. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, Bandcamp is massive. I heard, I heard they've laid off people. I heard people were a little worried that some of the staff layoffs would, you know, cause the site to not run correctly, but so far so good. Everything's been really the same. Um, Bandcamp is a game changer. It's like pretty much the last thing for artists, you know, like. Well, it's um, the closest thing we have to record stores too, so. Yeah, you know, and we can charge, we can charge more um, for our product, you know? And and the great thing about Bandcamp too is people tip. People very right. rarely buy a track. Like my tracks will sell for two pounds, 
but they very rarely buy it for two pounds. They'll, they'll, they'll do two pound 25, two pound 50, three dollars, three pounds, you know, and the, with the exchange rate, that helps with for me because Bandcamp will take their little, you know, I think it's like 15%, I think, right? And then the rest is for me. So on a two pound release, I make one pound 51, right? So it's, it's a life changer and you can have merchandise on there and it, it, you know, I tell all the young people I know, like I told Ace the other day, I said, you got to get yourself a band camp because he's a, a producer and you know, he's running all his companies. And uh, he was like, yep, yeah, as soon as I get off the phone, I'm setting one up, you know? Oh, absolutely. So, so we're going to meet and our track's coming over uh, this week. And, uh, you know, we, we he's got his band camp, but we're always talking because there's so many things you can do, right? Right. And we're always like, anytime we get on the phone, it's two hours. <laughs> It's like, yeah, you know, just talking absolutely. about stuff we can do as artists, you know? Yeah, definitely. I, I kind of love the fact that they can do like, um, like Children of Zeus during the pandemic did a, basically did like a, a concert from Bandcamp live. And, wow, you know, they sold tickets through it. People got to watch it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that is really innovative. It's totally different than just like, say, a Twitch stream. Like you can make it like a special event and sell tickets. And it just... It seems, you know, there's very, I'm, I'm actually surprised that nobody has come up with like a clone or like a knockoff of Bandcamp, like an alternative to Bandcamp yet. Um, I mean, obviously Bandcamp's very effective, but yeah. you know, there's, there's nothing like it around and I'm surprised that no one's tried to make that happen, you know, to be like the Apple music to Bandcamp Spotify, you know what I mean? It's kind of like that. I'm surprised that hasn't happened yet. And I'm kind of hoping someone does actually, because just in case the worst happens with this new owner, you know, a lot of people, myself included, I've got music on there. I, I don't want to have nowhere to go other than you know, I would be so sad own site. I would be so sad about it because, you know, um, yeah, just having to re-upload your entire catalog and, you know, it's kind of like if you lost your Instagram, my Instagram is my diary now, you know, it's I put I put so much stuff up there like I don't care I'm not one of these artists who are just like oh I want my Instagram to look like you know I'm some sort of what do you call it influencer <laughs> you know and it's right. all per and it's all perfect like you know today I, I I pimped out my Audio Technica headphones and I and I let people know the cost and how to do it and you know things saw like that, that. I saw yeah. that yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know I I love that I love like you know I'm I'm definitely I'm you know three you know I'm, I'm not even gonna say how many years i've been doing this but it's my turn to kind of give back to people so you know i'm gonna be doing like little talks where i can give you know people the game you know because this 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 thing is like if you're an artist now you have to be the ceo more than the, an artist the admin you're the right. you know you're the promoter um you, you know what i mean you wear like many hats and also too you have to have multiple sources of income to, right. to going like i've been a full-time artist since the 90s now you know and so you know thankfully i'm here still knock on wood and and uh you know what after the pandemic everything is just it's just now getting back to what it was right right and to be honest with you we were kind of hitting like a, a really bad point in toronto things were parties were sort of like dying you know there was it was everything was really small right People i remember people were really depressed 
everyone was just in this you know but i think people don't didn't realize it was kind of like i think the pandemic made people realize that the only person who is going to make this thing go is you so like the mcs realized the only people who are going to throw mc parties are the mcs you know um the jump up djs especially they realize the only people who are going to promote jump up parties is jump up djs so right. it everyone same with jungle parties everyone realizes like yo we have to actually pick up you know the baton and run with it and actually put our money where our mouth is because no one's gonna you know people were depending it was really funny because i was like you know there's a lot of jungle djs i was like these jump up promoters are never gonna book you like they're not interested in what you do and 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 that was going so many different ways i was just like you don't do what they so like i i play multi-genres you know so like what i play at destiny that's me being a dj right i play for destiny right so it's like you know that's another hat i wear it's like i'm a multi-genre dj you know what i mean so i can go play liquid set i can go play a dark set i can go play breakbeat hardcore jungle and a lot of that's something that hasn't really passed down uh you know a lot of djs will be like well i play rollers and jump up or you know and that's it so and then they're wondering why they're not on all these other events right so a lot of the time when i get a call it's like hey we're having a ragged jungle event can you come boom right um people will call me even on this tour that i just went on right hey we want a jungle set hey we want half drum and bass half jungle i had that you know in portland because i was coming on after double urban and before reiki so it was like I did i did both right Man. so it's like you know i always say being versatile <clears throat> as a dj is like really crucial you know I, I mean obviously you have to like what you play but even now we've i've, I've gotten back into house jack and house and garage you know i mean i did my first set uh just a few weeks ago um for jeremy prom cesario right and uh we're gonna be doing stuff like that i'm uh, launching a party called called jack's house party with Flipside and Ms. Megs. Oh, so, okay. Watch, watch out for that. Yeah, because we're Big just taking... Flipside, by the way. Once again, we, take, we decided with that was, you know, Toronto's very segregated when it comes to house music. You know, you'll go to a disco house night. You'll go to a jacket house night. You'll go to a tech house night. We were like, everything under one roof, all just house music. Let's go play house music and make people party. Take away the idea of just hearing one thing all night long, you know? absolutely and he, and, and, and he loved that idea he was just like yo that's gonna be fun because like they they play after hours him and megs and toronto's a tech house city tech house rules toronto right so you most of the most of the house a, a lot of the big nights you go to it's just tech house all night long or techno right but imagine the freedom to play you know us garage uk garage techno track jack in it's just variety right so um that's coming you know and then um obviously we're, we're, we're taking the boy band on the road um a lot of people have been booking inner city dance so <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be happening and me and brad have been embracing it we're like wow like we didn't even really uh instigate it it's just that people saw it on flyers and then all of a sudden now we're getting calls regularly and they're like hey can we book inner city dance so we call it the boy band <laughs> it's it's you know it's funny that I, I i say it all the time a lot of but one of the key components, I think, to anyone being successful as an artist or as a promoter or whatever, is the name has to be correct. And Inner City Dance is a, a pretty killer name. It's a great name. And also, you know, 
harkens back a little bit to inner city life. Yes. So it's like it it kind of goes all through Jungle's DNA all the way back to uh, yesteryear. So it, it it's kind of perfect. So you know yeah. the, the name is fucking spot on. So um, <clears throat> the the two tunes that you just released um mm-hmm. prophecy and super sunday uh tell us a little bit mm-hmm. about super sunday the obviously prophecy is pretty self-explanatory i mean you even have the radio drops going through there you know yeah. fifteen thousand uh, watts of power like yeah yeah initially <laughs> brad great. brad was just like oh i don't like i don't because brad's not a movie sample kind of guy right. um and it sounds like a movie sample he's like oh and people might not get it and i'm like well I was like, I don't really care if people get it. <laughs> no, because it, it was made for people. It was made for prophecy listeners. Like, right. just as a piece of art, like, you know, with all the little prophecy drops in there. And also, too, it was just one of those sessions where it really just sounds like a time at, at prophecy. You know, there was a yeah. time where we were playing music, like, you know, that was like sort of like that Metalheads reinforced, even Dread sound, that, you know, the darker sound. And uh, yeah, man, it just it just. It was like a one night session came together really really good start to finish and i'm really happy but um super sunday uh was a lot of the mcs were like yo you guys are not making any music for mcs so i said to brad Ooh, I, was like, okay. I, was like, I was like you know what i'm gonna make a couple of rollers you know jungle rollers in the frame of like bonanza kid on philly blunt and uh buck rogers those were like some really big ones back in the day it was just like a big right. 808 and it's rolling it's just like you know the slight little baseline changes little dub outs of music so there's lots of room other than dr no in there that i sampled off of a rave um saying jungle music non-stop now big up you know what i mean then it's just mc go you know what i mean right. so I made it for the MCs because, yo, because, you know, to be honest with you, this is a funny, I'm, I'm talking to an MC and I wanted to have this conversation with you. Basically, um, what people don't understand is 99, I'd say 0.9% of the time when I play all throughout North America, there's no MC at the party. So it's gotten to the point where now I always ask for a mic and I've been doing it by myself, like most of like many artists, right? Um, there's a few reasons for this. Some cities don't have any MCs at all, like at all, <laughs> right? Right. They, 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 it, so it's become something that's not even part of their culture. It's not even discussion. It's not even a discussion. They don't know about it. You know, they might know about it if they see an Andy C set and they see Tom Piper. Right. Yeah, Tom Piper in tiny little letters next to his name. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, so, so, yeah, 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 for sure. it, so there's the aspect of many cities don't have it at all. Right. Um, and then also, too, there's the, like, for example, like, I'm not going to name the company, but a really big company, Toronto, doesn't have MCs because they were getting complaints, so many complaints about the MCs that they just said, you know what? We're, we're not going to do it anymore right unless the dj comes with an mc right or the dj asks for an mc so that that's where they decided to go and they were kind of like you know unapologetic about it only because they were just like this is the this is the decision that we're gonna make right and um so creatively some people have gone there but the reality of me being a dj is that most of the time i play without an mc in north america and when i go to the uk there's always an MC. There's always a host. 
you know right. only only one time i played i played at funny enough i played for rumble in the jungle and they always have mcs but there was nobody emceeing for me that night it was like it was like something was missing you know but i think also too they thought you mainly play back a jungle so you know i can fill up a set with just a lot of vocals you know so i, I know this is near and dear to your heart um, <laughs> I, I i i personally like you know on the record prefer host mcs mm. right for me it's about the music right i'm not one of the djs that you put on where it's going to be barred out now i can play like i played with caddy and bandit the other night mm. and caddy was like yo can you play some instrumentals and i played instrumentals for them right because when i used to play at the raves back in the day there was a whole period where it was just like five mcs on the stage right and me, and me playing like clear skies and titan and uh the nine and <laughs> the beginning and you know those it was that golden era period of drum and bass but that was like really heavily mc uh laced period right you know what i mean um but yeah it, there, it's now split it's two parts of the culture you know what i mean and it's not to say that i don't every once in a while i get to play at those shows but it's very rare you know what i mean and uh, right. I, so whenever i see these discussions on like these drum and bass forums like it, i would say to people i'm like wow you know what people are not realizing that most of the show that i play don't have mcs at all yeah it's crazy you know and the company we're talking about before the toronto company we're talking about before like i guess my view has always been you know MCs are an intrinsic part of the culture. I feel like if you're not supporting all of the culture, you're kind of profiting from the culture. I respect why they are making that decision. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, honestly, there are MCs that just are not cut out for the type of night maybe some a promoter wants to curate. You know what I mean? Uh, what I don't love <laughs> is that MCs are not booked the way DJs are booked. And and it's just one of those things that for some reason, a lot of promoters just will not validate emceeing as an art form on the same level as even a support DJ. You know what I mean? Well, you know, what? I've had this conversation with track and um, so it's two tiered. And I think a lot of people don't understand a lot of the time it's financial. There's only so much the promoters can can book right um, financially. I think people forget that part. But in saying that, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of MCs locally on the circuit that are hosts, right? And then that just comes down to, because I'll be honest with you, some nights I want it and some nights I want to do it on my own. Do you know what I mean? Because now I've gotten I've gotten accustomed to it. And sometimes um, I played a show the other night and they didn't have a mic next to me. And I was just like, I, I was like, you know what? From now on, I have to have it here because there's sometimes there's things about the songs that I even want to relay to people you know and just that whole connection you know that that being said that's something new too uh jd was actually saying it to me he was just like wow he's like i can't believe how many of the djs are picking up the mic now so what happened was with the mcs not being booked for financial reasons it's not that foreign to to a lot of guys like you know especially if you come from sound system or like the hip-hop period right it was just like okay because you know i'll give you an example like terry t's a wicked host right mm -hmm. double o sick like great host like you know what i mean these guys have the ability to pick up the mic and and they're djs um and so on the flip side inja was just like i'm gonna dj and i and me and track had that conversation i was like track you know what 
you're gonna have to dj and he was just like oh but i don't really don't want to i we've even chucked around the idea he's like oh you know of of, of doing a little tech like i'm the dj and he's the mc so we, that's on the table like um well that's what that's what diligent fingers is doing now he's like you know because he mcs and he djs and he produces he does all of them super well he's just like i'm just gonna just start emceeing for myself <laughs> and he's yeah. been doing a lot of that so when he when he finally got brought out to canada out west he, that's what he did and he's kind of been doing that ever since so let's wrap this up with is there any particular tune that you've put out this year that is kind of your favorite the closest to your heart i got a really soft spot for a track i did last year it's called stay hmm, okay and it was because and it, you know what it actually won track of the year at the toronto drum and bass awards last year and i was happy because actually brad and i we didn't we didn't even announce or post anything about that award show you know and it was cool like i don't know who nominated the track and then the fact that people went and listened and then voted for it was amazing because nc 17's been putting stankers out on like all the big labels uh and uh, jester firing rumbleton there's a lot of really great producers in toronto you know what i mean so i was stoked you know because that means that people went and took the time to, to, to have a listen um but the reason why i like that track is because a lot of tracks that are like hard but emotional mm, okay you know what i mean i mean listen there's obviously there's a whole liquid scene but i think the liquid scene really gets uh sadly i think liquid gets a bad rap as being like this really soft i think people forget like you know the original liquid scene when fabio was doing it it was tracks like desperado and like you know um it wasn't all it basically just meant more musical drum and bass it didn't mean that it had to be soft i think all of us on the prophecy hosting team we see this release uh prophecy and super sunday as really like kind of a full circle moment you know, the, yeah. the founder of the show has put out a tune that is like so, sort of an ode to not only the show, but that time period from which the show sprang. Mm -hmm. And so it is it's definitely a thing of beauty. And so I think all of us are highly appreciative and, and really love the tunes because they are they are pretty fantastic tunes. So, yeah, man. So. Well, thank, thank you so much for having me. All, all right. right. Have a good have a good night, eh, bro. Yeah, man. You too. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. All right. Easy. So that was my talk with Marcus Visionary. The sound quality on my end was definitely less than ideal for that, I apologize. The track underneath me is called Prophecy, and it is about this very radio show as founded by Mr. Visionary himself, and I'm sure that he would tell you that next week for our fundraising episode to please, please, please support CIUT 89.5 FM directly. It is community radio, and it needs public support in order to stay stable and healthy. This is the prophecy, let's go. 15,000 watts of power.
This tune is entitled Stay, and Marcus did mention this one in the interview as being one of his favorites. After that, we have an interview with Polaris, who just dropped a tune called Pool Hopping on Liquidity. And then after that, we have an interview with Altered Natives, the UK-based producer most known for techno, house, and broken beat, but he is getting ready to release a full jungle album entitled Time Decays All Things. I have listened to it a few times, and let me tell you, it is very special. So everybody keep it locked. This is The Prophecy, and we're going to keep it going until the midnight hour. Until next time, though, I am Valiant MC, but keep on listening because we got so much good stuff for you in the next hour. Let's go.
Okay, so yeah, you've got a brand new release on Liquidity entitled Pool Hopping. So tell us about that tune, the inspiration behind it. I'm curious about the name. <laughs> you got to fill me in on that. Well, the tune is out. Um, the inspiration behind the name, I guess, I don't really know. Um, some songs, the name kind of just goes with the mood of the song and other ones I literally have to sit there and think of something and that's the worst for me because then it just feels like forced but song needs a name and I can't just name it you know song number 34 so I think because of the whole lightness of the track in a way and mm -hmm. all the synthesizers and kind of the like uh, danciness of it it just made me think of summer and sunshine and heat and cool water so I guess, you know, I just kind of thought about when I was a little younger, I used to go to a, um, this park called Christie Pits. I'm sure most of you know where it is. And uh, we would go there after dark and we would hop the fence and go swimming. And then we would hit up another pool oh, okay. the same night. And then we would try and hit up another pool the same night. So essentially that's called pool hopping. So I guess that's kind of what I thought about while, while I was writing the track and the inspiration for it. It kind of just came from that first uh, vocal sample that I had. Um, I kind of had it laying around for like, I don't know, maybe 10 years. And somehow I've missed it this whole time. Or maybe I've heard it before and I forgot about it, but I heard it again and um, it just kind of went from there. So it started with the vocal, really. I was talking to Marcus Visionary. He said something. He said, now I can think of something that I want to hear and I can go and create that thing. So he can <clears throat> visualize is obviously a poor word when you're mm -hmm. uh, talking about coming up with a, a concept for a song, but he can visualize essentially what he wants to create and then go and create that thing. And I'm always curious when it comes to uh, producers um, about their process. Um, do they come at it from a place of they can hear it in their head and then they go and try and make it or does it sort of come together i don't want to say by accident but i mean when you're creating music a lot of times it is the result of happy accidents mm -hmm. so for you are is it one of those things where you kind of have something in your head that you know that you want to try to create or is a lot of that sort of like a happy accident um i definitely go at it with the intention of I know exactly what I want to go for. Um, nine times out of 10, it never ends up like that though. So for me, it'll start with an idea that I have in my head and I kind of know what, you know, what I want to do with it. And maybe within, I don't know, the first, you know, 16 bars of the track, I just kind of throw something in there that is, uh, completely separate from what I originally wanted the song to sound like. And then it sounds 10 times better than I even planned it to sound. So kind of like at that point, it starts writing itself in a sense. Um, so most of the time, yeah, I, I, I guess I, I start with an idea, but it just, it never ends up with that same idea. It always ends up um, almost totally different. I'm fascinated by the, the, the semi-consciousness of creativity, where the creativity almost takes the creator on the journey as opposed to the other way around mm -hmm. and authors frequently talk about this where they uh they end up surprised 
at what their characters end up doing in the story that they are writing. It's almost as if the, I thought there was, the story is writing itself, but that they are discovering the story as it happens. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that a lot of people who maybe are not creative types, I don't know if they can necessarily empathize with that kind of thing. It sounds kind of bananas when you try to explain it to somebody. Um, but it yeah. really does happen quite a bit. I know that lyrically speaking, um, my lyrics surprise me all the time when I write, when I draw, it's definitely something like that. How often do you find yourself going, whoa, uh, and you are surprising yourself as you go? Yeah, um, quite, quite often. And I've had people ask me before about my, you know, writing process and people that aren't even into music or, you know, like, well, everyone's into music, but they're not musicians and, you know, they're not producers or anything like that. They don't write music. They're just interested in, uh, in how, how it works. And um, funny enough, like a lot of the times I spend probably 75% of my day humming things in my head, melodies and, you know, different kind of chord progressions and whatnot. And I almost feel like, oh, I've heard this song before somewhere. You know, it's definitely been done. Like, it's definitely a song out there. But most of the time, it's not. It just sounds like it is. So most of the time, I feel like I'm almost not original in my ideas. Um, I mean, mm, it's hard it, It's hard to be completely 100% original anyways. But of course. Uh, generally, sounds weird but right as i kind of get out of bed in the morning like when i wake up first thing when i wake up in the morning i most of the time i have things playing in my head and i don't know if that's whether be you know i was dreaming about something and it was something was playing in my in the background of my head while i was dreaming or if it's just kind of like just happens as soon as i wake up but that's usually when i get the best ideas and i've i've done this before where i've gotten out of bed before work and just turn on my pc and i just jot down this idea really quick before i i leave so i don't forget it and that's where like lessons learned came from that's where distant came from um that's where a lot of my um more popular songs came from so you know i, I don't want to get all spiritual here but it it <laughs> it comes from somewhere and then it just kind of uses me as this i don't know vessel and that's really the, the best way I can describe that. So. You know, it, it's funny to bring up uh, spirituality and I'm not, I, I don't ask this um, as a way to pry. And I, I know that a lot of people are hesitant to talk about spirituality or faith or the supernatural or whatever you like to call it. Um, I'm a Satanist. But, <laughs> 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 so <laughs> I was going to say, what is there a particular role in your life for spirituality or are you I, I guess uh, for lack of a better term are you are you comfortable not knowing what lies beyond or within hmm. if that makes sense yeah um i mean look i was born and raised orthodox and you know baptized in a big wooden church and uh, you know my parents were very um you know, church going kind of people. Oh, now they're less. I remember when I was young, um, it was almost like a weekly thing that we do. And um, over time, obviously, you know, after we moved to Canada and all that, when I was about 10 years old, um, 
I guess life just kind of took over and we stopped going as much and you know um I mean look my, my parents still have you know little rosaries and stuff like that and my mom like you know she's she holds all these kind of little icons of like you know Jesus and Mary and all in her room but as far as I don't know as far as me um right now within the last probably two or three years I discovered this group called high lung and okay. they are a um for lack of a better term folk band but you really have to listen to them to really understand what they're about um high lung means healing in norse and uh they're uh, they're all from from norway or you know that general area and they essentially play uh what would what was considered pagan music back in the olden times um and i went to see them uh, when they came to toronto i saw them live and uh, they were they just blew my mind i mean i have not felt that kind of emotion towards an an act or group you know musical group uh in i don't know ever really ever you know it was it was absolutely incredible and i i was thinking about it for you know weeks after that um the thing spiritually that makes the most sense to me would be like essentially paganism, you know, um, nature, the earth, um, nothing about like a, there's one God or something like that. It's, it's more so I'm, I feel like I'm more connected to the planet itself and, uh, and kind of preserving it and, you know, animals. And I, I, I strongly believe in spiritual spirituality when it comes to, to animals and animal figures in your life. Um, I mean, that's probably the best way I can describe it, but I don't really like practice anything, you know, spiritually. I mean, I wear a, I wear a little Norse pendant around my neck. It's a little like, uh, it's called, it's called Mjolnir and it, it's basically Thor's hammer. Um, and it's a pretty popular thing uh, for, uh, you know, Norse mythology. And I've seen a lot of people wear it too, but so I just kind of wear that, that kind of like a reminder of, uh, just, um, perseverance and, and strength when I need it. And that's pretty much all I need, you know, um, there's been one song that I'm currently working on, uh, or it's almost finished, but you know, it's, it's kind of in the process of being finished. Um, funny enough, it's called Midgard. And uh, that's kind of the only track I've ever made that's inspired by that side or that part of me, where it's like more so towards the Norse mythology kind of area of things. In terms of like feeling like you're tapping into something that is beyond your understanding, um, does that happen often when you're creating uh, music or is it sort of like um, it's a, a fleeting time, happy moment when it does happen? <laughs> um, that's a good question and actually a lot of times that i do write especially the more i guess uh, the more stuff that is kind of on the lessons learned type of vein you know that's got like piano and strings in it and stuff like that i mean there have been times where i've been you know playing the chords or you know writing the song along and I mean, I've, I've, not, I'm not gonna lie. I've had, I've, I've teared up before, like you know, just writing this stuff, and it's not something that, um, I expect. It just kind of happens, and then I, I kind of have to, I, I kind of just like sit back for a while and just go, whoa, you know, like 
that was intense. Like that's going to be a really good part of the track. And I've had, um, you know, people message me online and, and, um, tell me that, uh, you know, it's affected them. That particular track has affected them sort of in the same way. Um, so I've been able to, to connect with people on that level, which is actually very intimate and you're connecting with complete strangers on that. So I think it's just because I, when I write music, I allow myself to be the absolute most vulnerable I can be because that's how I create the most, um, that's how, that's how I create the truest sound, you know, to, of myself in a way. So, uh, and I'm not, like, you know, I'm not afraid of that or anything, you know, I'm not, it doesn't scare me away. It actually draws me more towards it. So if I'm writing a tune and I get overwhelmed with emotions, I'm going to keep writing, you know, or whatever. And, um, then I go back and edit things and do all that. But the initial process of laying down the foundation is when it usually like when it happens for me. So, hmm. you know, you departed the, the hospital uh, conglomerate. Um, mm-hmm. And since then you have released on um, a number of different labels. Um, and I think musically you have found uh, several different steps of evolution, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. So talk about how you maybe have changed as a musician since leaving hospital and how your outlook on your future plans within German bass uh, have or have not changed. Um, well, when I got sort of, I guess, uh, spotted by uh, hospital, I was still in the very kind of learning stages of really of, of production and and uh, writing songs. Um, I don't even remember how long ago that was. Must have been 2018 or something like that, or 2017. Mm-hmm. I think the Future Sound of Canada was the first like hospital release. And um, honestly, when they asked me to be part of med school, I it, it was. It was overwhelming because immediately I started thinking, I'm not ready. Like, I, I'm not on that production level with the guys that are uh, on med school or were on med school already. So, I think part of the reason why it kind of didn't really work out is because I sort of hindered myself with that way of of thinking, and I let that kind of anxiety get. The better of me so i just um kind of remained in the same patterns of writing and i never really evolved too much during my time with hospital I'm, i mean obviously I, I improved a little bit you know with things here and there and i was constantly looking for ways to make mix down sound better and you know luckily i didn't have a problem with songwriting because i always had ideas um and other other people always called me extremely lucky for that and we're like oh you don't even have to worry about songwriting you can just play something and it's a song but where i lacked a lot and even in, even today you know um is is a technical aspect of it um so once that kind of ended and they you know let me go i was like okay well i don't really need to uphold any sort of you know like facade 
I don't need to, I don't I don't need to uphold okay. this sort of facade anymore. I don't need to have this, you know, this thing about me anymore because I'm not expected to, you know, perform in, you know, this many tunes or write write so many songs in this amount of time or um the pressure was kind of just completely off and so uh I was able to just essentially not care and just wrote what I wanted to write and like to write and with that came the um technical aspect also getting better because I really just could spend a lot of time um learning and I think the biggest problem with me and hospital at the time was that I was not producing enough um quantity you know as as much as they 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 preferred um and that's that's not on them at all i mean that's nothing nothing against them um it's just i wasn't i wasn't ready i just wasn't at that point where i was ready for that kind of um output did you find that they were a label that uh i, I don't want to call them heavy-handed but did, did they seem like they wanted to be involved in the songwriting process like did they have a lot of notes for you or did they kind of let you do your own thing when when it came to like hospital releases on compilations they mm -hmm. they really didn't have much <clears throat> to say about the the structure of the of the track you know like what what things i chose to put here and there and whatever if anything the only suggestions that they kind of brought up were um again more technical mix down stuff that's really it which mm -hmm. i always okay. kind of appreciated um being with med school however because med school kind of had their own two guys that were um the head of that branch um and because i was a med school artist i wouldn't say they had a they would try and like change the writing process or change anything about the, the tracks but you know if i if i put a lot of elements in a track and sometimes i had a problem with this where i put way too many things in one song and it's like this wall of sound that happens and everything kind of gets you know lost in in there you know they'd suggest you know maybe take this element out or take that element out and try it with just these and it was just they were kind of trying to help me get a little better technically you know so you and i have talked a lot about how the industry continues to change in a in a way that often leaves artists out in the cold um or uh fending for themselves in ways that artists either never expected or shouldn't have to expect so i mean for instance spotify just announced that you will not get any royalties from spotify plays until you reach a thousand streams which you know for a lot of bigger artists won't be a problem mm -hmm. but for smaller artists they're immediately you know their back is up a bit i think a lot of artists and i've said this in my interview with marcus um are realizing that record labels to some extent are obsolete in that artists can do what record labels already mm -hmm. do for them outside of say you know massive uh, promotional machines yeah big big promotion yeah um and now that you have stepped away from you know what is arguably one of the the key drum and bass institutions mm -hmm. um and now that you've existed outside of it for a while um, how do you see your future in drum and bass going forward in terms of how you release music, how you promote music? The industry is changing. Well, you are changing as an artist. So how is that going to work going forward? I think it's, I think I'm, I'm evolving, you know, rather than, 
staying stagnant, which is surprising. And it's also a very good feeling. Um, and I've never been a big self-confidence kind of guy, but lately I've had a lot of confidence in my ability with um, writing music anyways and DJing and all that. I mean, what you were saying about artists realizing that they don't need major labels anymore. Um, um, the hardest part of this whole process, being solo and being by yourself, really is, yeah, it's the promo aspect. It's the promotional aspect of it. Um, I mean, I, I still release with labels, but I'm not, you know, bound by contract to any of them. And I don't think I ever will be unless it's really good, you know, terms and i think going forward i mean i'm just gonna keep doing the the solo thing um because it's been working quite well and you know it's it's going to be working even even more so in the future um i mean i i guess i could talk about it i i have i have plans to um to open a label and I'm essentially just going to release all of my own stuff on my label's website, you know. Um, that's not to say that I'm going to completely stop sending music to other record labels like Hospital and UKF and Liquicity and, and all those guys. But, you know, I've been so prolific lately and I plan to keep it that way that I, I'm now <laughs> at a point where I'm getting, I just have too much music and I need to get it out there. And... And I think that's a very good thing. Um, and for now, you know, it's going to be probably mostly uh, just my stuff. But, you know, in the future, I do have some, definitely some artists in mind. I mean, like, you know, I know you're going to be one of them. Uh, Ritual is definitely going to be on there. Um, uh, schematic, uh, you know, I, I mean, I got, I got, I got people in mind. Um, but right. I don't know the logistics yet of doing that and releasing other people's music. And I probably need to figure that out a little bit more, but to wrap things up, is there a tune that really stands out for you as like something that's very close to your heart? Yeah. Uh, lessons learned is probably the one tune that really stands out to me because number one, I was in a, in a ditch at that point in my life and it was things just weren't great and that song was also sort of a turning point for me technically um and what i mean mm. by technically i mean like you know uh, I, I started to understand how mix downs work a little bit better what i should use in certain instances what i shouldn't um and i just the whole pro producing thing started to finally click a little bit more so uh, i think and uh, that's the track and 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 it made it onto a, a microsoft video game which i played f for you know months and months um <laughs> not because my song was on there but because i've always loved forza anyways i used to play forza all the time and uh i don't know i just never thought that that would be something that i would ever end up doing and recently um kino and myself are on um the crew which is another racing video game uh we made it onto that track list as well so i don't know it's um it's pretty cool it's weird for one host to interview another 
but yeah uh, well you did interview you for joining me for this i mean you interviewed two hosts this well old host ex-host and yeah right current host. <laughs> yeah right so, the yeah. creator of all things that we know yeah um no but thank you very much for uh your time and uh yeah i'm looking forward to see what's next now
<clears throat> so you have a, uh, a new album coming out, and I, I I noticed on the promo that it mentioned Jungle as being your first love. So let's kind of go back to that. Go back to before you became Altered Natives, yeah. and how did you how did you make that journey from Jungle being your first love into what you had become known for, which is you know techno house, broken beat, etc. Um, all right, like jungle jungle is one of my first loves like my my real first love really stems what what kind of carried me into the kind of whole hardcore jungles like scene was hip-hop because like when when i was a kid like i'm i'm old now so so like i when i was in primary school what what you call i think kindergarten that was when breakdance and the whole kind of b-boy and electro that sound kind of came out. So I must have been about seven or eight, maybe. That was kind of my fascination, like where my fascination with electronic music started. Through my primary age, through my teenage years, I was very much into old school hip hop, electro. And then obviously the birth of Acid House, that was kind of the music of my teenage years was kind of Acid House and and pirate radio that was literally my lifeline into electronic music and dance music but um and obviously when i was old as soon as i left school and i was old enough to go raving i was out there so you know i mean just absorbing as much as possible and then obviously the hardcore when acid kind of filtered out and it became more breakbeat kind of hardcore sound that was kind of when i was raving and obviously got to witness the birth of jungle and like all the genre evolutions and crossovers. Uh, but yeah, hip hop, hip hop is like my, is my first kiss, I'd say. But yeah, jungle, <laughs> jungle is my, is, is one of my first loves. So what, what drove you to the musical path that you became known for? So basically like in the nineties, I, I also used to be like, I used to be into graffiti, like pretty big. Like I didn't really see myself or have or think of myself of having an interest in music. Although, like one of my hobbies as a kid, like I would make tape loops. I don't know if you like, like you know, like you get a double cassette player, keep and just keep looping a tape and right. making recording loops. I used to have tapes and tapes of loops, so that was kind of really my first kind of messing around with audio was making these tape loops, and then I, I remember like like working out that if i if i set the switch between between the cassette and the aux i could plug in the record deck and like catch two sounds at once so i would like run the video for it put little like sound effects over beats that i'd made and re-record it all over and it was like that, that was really my first like entry into kind of making beats i guess even though it wasn't, I never took it seriously. But like back in the nineties, I I kind of took like the the whole visual thing because I was very much an artist, like painting and just like just art in general was my thing. And to me, that was kind of that was that was my direction. Like my my goal was to become a comic book artist. That was like really where I wanted to go. <laughs> yeah, me <But> too. <laughs> Yeah, like, like that was a real like big influence for me. It's like I still love comics. Do you know what I mean? To this day, actually, even like I like back then, you could just walk into into people's offices and be like, "Look at my shit." Do you know what I mean? I'm sure you must have heard 2000 ADs, like a very famous British comic, Judge Dredd. And I remember walking into their office with my portfolio. I was a real, I was a novice then. Like, I was, t I had some talent. 
But I was just like, just walked straight into the office. Like, where's the editor? I want to see the editor. Look at my portfolio. And then they, they kind of obliged me and was like polite with it. But that's kind of how I kind of got by. It was just like walking into people's offices, like showing them my portfolio. But like it went from there. And then obviously with, with rave and the whole visual element of raves, like backdrops. So I kind of got into painting backdrops and try and designing, I mean, flyers and like record inners and stuff like that. And I got involved in a, in a small rave promotion, which was really sketchy, like proper dodgy, like really, <laughs> really like the whole, it was, it was crooked. It was like, it was crooked. Basically, literally it was, it was, it was really just to play to the ego of the guy who owned the promotion. It, literally everyone was kind of doing it for the love because back then in the nineties, it was very much like, like the whole kind of, you see all that PLUR, like that 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 was like back in the uk in the 90s it was like everyone was like oh yeah do it for the love kind of thing but really that yeah. was kind of more of an excuse for slave labor and you know, i mean people doing stuff for free <laughs> uh, right. yeah, i was like i was with this like small rave promotion they were literally a leech promotion i say leech because they they were basically leech onto other promotions like they put on nights like they weren't like the greatest nights but they put on nights nonetheless but but really the whole thing was just to sell pills do you know what i mean like they, it was disingenuous really and like the guy who who was behind it he was he he was a piece of shit really do you know what i mean as as he's read on my on that on the promo read i was like that's i lost an eye to that do you know what i mean so that was kind of that was really where I eventually transitioned from art to music because, you know I mean, I lost, I lost vision in my right eye or, I, or my sight was starting to fail in my right eye. And obviously that affected my perspective for nice to lose vision or a, a hand or a finger or anything. You know I mean, it's, it's a, it's a big thing. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, I, and also at the time, Valley, I was an MC as well. I, I, I was, like I said, I was very much into hip hop and I was very much into writing. Do you know what I mean? So I, I used to write. I wasn't like a rave MC, but I, do you know what I mean? I was very much into my hip hop and I ended up getting into starting like a little like demo like group with a friend of mine. And he's, and his dad was basically helping us kind of realizing our ideas because he was actually like a, he actually had a, like a few hits, like, and was kind of involved in the very, very early days of like hip hop, and like was behind an early British act who kind of went, who kind of crossed over. They were called the Wee Papa Girl Rappers. They weren't like weren't my cup of tea. Lovely oh, girls. I remember them. And there were a couple of twins, and he was like behind one of their hits, and he was also behind another band that was quite big in the 80s but he was basically helping us realize how we would like we would basically bring him our samples and he would get them onto the mpc like into the akai like just so, like i mean we would just kind of rely on him to help us and that was really where my my interest in production stemmed because i i was obviously i like i said i was making those tape loops when i was a kid and obviously i like i, I had a taste for it do you know what i mean so I, I like being self-sufficient. I hate relying on people. Do you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I, I ended up going and doing a diploma in sound engineering and MIDI technology just so I could be more self-sufficient 
and have that knowledge. Do you know what I mean? So I don't really have to rely on anyone. And um, yeah, and that's and that was around '99. That was literally not long after was how Neighbors was born because I was I was picked up by a friend of a friend who was working for Westminster Council, and he needed someone to kind of run a training program which was basically taking kids what they were calling disenfranchised youth from Mm. west london and teaching them basic studio technique and music industry awareness and that was me and another guy but like my thing really was i was being brought in as a mentor because i was i was one of these disenfranchised kids do you know what i mean it's like i'd been through quite a turbulent childhood and teen, my teenage years weren't exactly great well like my younger adult years weren't but like obviously i kind of lived life do you know what i mean i'd seen quite a lot and i was kind of brought in as a yeah like a role model mentor and um, ran and that was in conjunction with people records which was for run from goya distribution which was the mecca of broken beat that was where where all kind of revolved and all the music came through and passed through and um my first introduction to the guys uh, that's that was when i found out who was involved and um, uh, one of the core like crews involved were reinforced was um mark mack and digo uh, for hero oh. and those guys i absolutely loved their music like growing up i mean they were the most influential on me in my raving years like every record from reinforced that was my shit do you know i mean literally so i like so when i found out those two were involved and they were kind of one of the major crews kind of as like in the godfather godfather's a broken bee i was like i should do this because at the time i was still i was still like messing around making hip-hop beats and jungle Back then, like late nineties and like mid nineties, like there was no real social media, so it was it it was all very much earning your stripes and trying to network and meet people to kind of build your name, and it was really hard to kind of break through and get recognised and to I mean, get your music played unless you knew people at the top there was like a very inner circle outer circle so i mean like my last memory of of before when natives was born was it was kind of like i think it was like 98 maybe 97 98 me and my friend jay who i started like was in the like doing like the hip-hop project with he was adamant we've got to take this beat to metalheads <laughs> it was the worst it was the worst tune ever <laughs> it was like it was <laughs> it was really really ambitious valiant right it was like, at the time you know you know like when you come out of the studio like when like you're buzzing because you you go oh yeah i've got a tune and like you can play it at home like you're like wow this is great but um the levels and but like we managed to get a sit down with dj storm and she actually obliged us and was absolutely lovely about it the whole time like it was like i i, I kind of knew like my heart was like this is dog shit you know what i mean but she was absolutely lovely and like sat for listening to the track like critiqued it like do you know what i mean like like absolutely like wonderful person to do that do you know what i mean most people won't give you the time of day like now these days you'll email someone a demo like they'll just generally ignore it if they don't like it but like she actually sat down with us and like was like oh like try and try to give us little tips and pointers and sent us home with like a box of records and which was a buzz as well getting a box of records from metwords mm-hmm. yeah that was the old days like oh it was brilliant 
but um yeah so so kind of 99 2000 I, that was when i got involved with with guy and started running people training from there that was how i got into broken beat that was the birth of all natives really everyone that i speak to who is you know roughly in the same age range Every single person that I talk to when it comes to discovering jungle always goes back to reinforced. It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. and it's amazing because the, obviously so many people give reinforced their flowers or whatever. Um, but I don't think they are sung as heroes nearly enough. Uh, no pun intended. Nah, there. <laughs> no pun intended there. Uh, yeah, I don't yeah, think they're sung as heroes nearly enough for the role that they had in, in, birthing jungle and drone base as we know it um so, and well, i've like, noticed like, even pre pre like jungle was like reinforced was going like i remember my first experience like hearing like for hero reinforced in a dance and it was like must have been a, like 91 92 mm-hmm. and and that was uh, that was when they did mr kirk's nightmare which was a right. massive tune, and it, but it was like completely mental, like kind of. Try, I don't know if you're familiar with it. They sampled like a PDA for about a drug overdose, and it was like Mr. Kirk. Yes, do you have a son named Robin? Robin Cook, age seventeen. Yes, I'm sorry, Mr. Kirk. He died of an overdose, and then he's like, in drops like a mad bell sample. Ding 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 ding. Mr. Cook. Yes. Do you have a son named Robin? Robert Cook, age 17. Yes. I'm sorry, Mr. Cook. You better come down to the station house. Your son is dead. Dead? How? He died of an overdose. Come down to the station house. Come down to the station house. Come down to the station house. Your son is dead. That shit was mad, brother. I was like, I remember hearing that. I was, I was like seventeen. You know, it, it was like it was pretty mind blowing. Like that was, and that was kind of really. And there was a B side to that um, for Hero track called the School Char, which was I obviously like coming from a hip hop background and kind of that whole B boy electro thing. Like I, one of the things that I loved the most about kind of hardcore and like jungle and drum and bass was breaks because like. They they were like food for dancing. Do you know what I mean, it was like it was always right. about breaks. Do you know what I mean, and I still to this day I love breaks. I love hearing drums, live drums for me. Like drums, yeah. Like and like again back to going back even further, like back to the tape loops. I was obsessed with drums. So if I would like, I would go through my dad's music and like find. Do you know what I mean, little like drum solos. I would like loop it, loop it, loop it. Do you know what I mean? Did you ever did you ever play drums? No. No, this is Never one chance, thing. Huh? Like, yeah, it's just like obviously, like I, I love drums. You can hear that in my music, but yeah, it's I never. never it's never too late to start, man. Never too late. Yeah, yeah. It's like there's, there's tons of things I'm kind of like. Oh, I would love to kind of <clears> take that <throat> off my bucket list. But yeah, when you were making this album, were you kind of like channeling those old reinforced vibes that you experienced when you were young? Um, let me bring up one other point. Is this album a cumulative thing that happened over a longer period of time, or did you actually sit down and make it kind of all in one go? No, no, it actually, this, this 
project has been probably the longest project I've kind of worked on. It it kind of spanned across three, just over three years writing. I think when we started talking was not long after I released my ninth album. And I don't know if you remember, like, I I just gone. I just had a, like a near fatal severe heart attack. Oh, I so I that, yeah. Kind of, okay. yeah, yeah. So I I was like where everything was so mysterious and like the doctors didn't really understand how I survived and whatnot. I obviously thought that ninth album was my last, which was why it was so kind of I try to feel everything across the board and touch everything that I loved. But um, you obviously went into lockdown. And I was obviously with my condition, I had to be isolated just to protect my health. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. yeah, I spent a lot, a lot of time kind of in isolation, but I, I don't know, most producers, we're quite happy in our own company. So I did it like standing on my head pretty much. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I was fine with it. And um, yeah, and like I, that was kind of where I scratched out the album, like, and yeah, just pinned it all down. But the, um, the album was really more, just to write, to take all the knowledge that I've uh, accumulated in the past 23 years with all the natives to create the album that I couldn't really make 24, 25 years ago because I didn't have the, the skill, the knowledge, the understanding and the richness and depth of my, my own musical tastes, which I have built over the years. I mean, Obviously, I was mad into my hip hop and uh, yeah, knew about reggae and everything else. But like, I needed, I needed like to gain that experience and that, uh, yeah, and that character building, I guess. And this, this was, this is basically the album I've always kind of wanted to make because one of my favorite periods in in drum and bass was kind of the late nineties, the whole kind of blue note metalhead era. But like, the, in terms of kind of this album. I obviously wanted to kind of tip my hat to a lot of my favorite producers and obviously like four hero were in there, but it wasn't an obviously conscious effort to be like, right, this one's going to sound like this guy, this one. It was just really more to kind of express my love for this music that had kind of been so pivotal in, in building my sound and obviously my history as a teenager to my adult years. I think it's interesting that the album is called Time Decays All Things and mm. the cover art is yeah. roses, you know, surrounding the two belt buckles. But we yeah. don't think of metal as decaying, yet everything else does. Mm. I, were, was that an intentional choice artistically or were was that sort what of a- accidental because the belt buckles look cool as fuck? Yeah, that was kind of more reference to obviously my my time from kind of like b boy years. Do you know what I mean like right. name belt buckles? Do you know what I mean that was kind of a thing. And um, the alternatives buckles was actually originally when I was coming up with the artwork, I only had one buckle. Like I only had the altered buckle, which was mine. And the natives buckle belonged to like my friend's dad Ian, who helped us when we was younger, trying to realize our ideas, like on the MPC and the Akkad sample, like he, that was, I bought him that because when I started with natives, he, I was still using his studio and a lot of my early productions were built on the MPC. So mm-hmm. Ian, Ian like was an honorary member because like when I started all the natives, obviously I was doing a lot of it on my own, 
but Ian would help because Ian was also a musician. So like he he played some keys on on a couple of tracks and and guitar because he was also like very well like skilled and talented guitarist. So like he would he would like drop some licks on some of the old tunes. But I brought him that name belt as like do you know what I mean an honorary member gift. And um, he passed nice. away like a couple of years ago, like to cancer, like during lockdown, which was kind of heartbreaking because I couldn't even attend yeah. his funeral. So like when I was making the artwork, I, I just had the altered buckle and like the, the idea of the roses, the decaying roses. And then when I spoke to his wife, Carol, I was like explaining the artwork and I said about Ian's buckle and she said, and she actually said she wanted to, wanted to return it to me because it was like a, a gift that I brought in, but like it made sense to return it to me, like when I told her about the the artwork. So that was really like how it came into completion. Like the artwork's just like homage to a past friend. I mean, I lost quite a few friends like during lockdown, I lost three friends who were like really close. So finishing this album was kind of therapeutic because everyone was kind of invested and want, when it's here, it was like I lost like my one of my best friends, Phil Asher, who's like very well loved in like UK mm -hmm. house. And also like another friend, like Andrew DJ Bigo, who was like, was a local face in Hackney growing up and also a jungle DJ. And he was like super buzzing to like hear this album finished, but obviously he never, he also died of pancreatic cancer. So mm -hmm. it was like, it was a tough time. So like this album, like is like very much dedicated to like, friends have passed i mean but especially the artwork was a yeah it was a homage to ian as well because he was obviously he was a he was someone who kind of acted as a a teacher and a mentor when i was like writing music and he was also like family as well i mean we were all very close so so yeah. clearly you know death mortality uh life cycles yeah, and stuff yeah, like that yeah. that seems my to be own, uh it seems to permeate this own. entire thing yeah especially like and, and my own mortality and my brush with mortality like which was why it was such an important thing to kind of get this album pinned down and out there do you know what i mean it, it took me a long time to kind of craft it and get it to a level where i was completely happy with it do you know what i mean there were a couple of tracks like when I had finished the project, I was still humming and hawing about, but yeah, I fixed them and like, they're like, yeah, I love those tracks now. I mean? So, and also one of my things like in my, I don't know, my trademark is all, is also kind of releasing consistent music. So I don't really like r releasing filler. So I mean, I like everything mm. to bang. So I mean, it's like, and they're pretty much every album. It's like most people make the comment of it's like it's consistent. I mean, like every tune is banging, and uh, that's all kind of become my benchmark. Is there um is there a track on the album, a track or two that is particularly close to your heart? Like if you had to if you had to save one baby, which which baby would it be? Um, probably the title track. The title mm. track. I, like I know I know it probably isn't everyone's cup of tea, but time decays all things just really kind of summed up my kind of adult life through to my present that whole like with the vocal sample as well like demons always chasing because i have all i have i have had a, a colorful life like compared to most it's like I'm 
Do you know what I mean? And I've survived so much, Valiant. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of mad what I've kind of lived through and survived, where a lot of people I know are dead or in prison or, do you know what I mean? Like, just messed up. So, yeah, tying the case all things is, is probably the most personal, kind of poignant to kind of my reality. So the the album uh, once again is is entitled "Time to Case All Things" and it comes out uh, when exactly? December the first. December the first. It will be available to stream on all your normal streaming platforms and available to buy on my Bandcamp page so on the i for i Recordings Bandcamp. But yeah, December the first. All right, man. Well, thank you uh, very much. This has been great. And uh, hopefully we can uh, catch up next time you uh, drop something juicy. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's been a pleasure, Valium. Thank you for having me on, man. Chasing me.